the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 104, and our guest is Kristen Arnett. Kristen is the New York Times best-selling author of the wonderful novels Mostly Dead Things and her most recent book, With Teeth. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, McSweeney's, and many other esteemed places. Kristen has been on my dream guest list since the day I finished Mostly Dead Things, and I am so honored to bring y'all this conversation. I asked Kristen if she had any Florida-related musicians in mind for this episode, and she said that she was a fan of Orlando-based Tierney Tough and the Pauses. So the music you're hearing in this episode is the new single by Tierney Tough. Uh, The song is called Apartment 54, and you can find it on Tierney's new EP, A Farce to Reckon With. Go get a physical copy at tierneytuff.bandcamp.com. Y'all, before we get into this, the very beginning of the episode probably requires a little bit of context. Um, Kristen self-applies the title dad on uh, on social media. So I referred to her as dad to begin with. Uh, she's not like my actual father or anything, but that's a, a, a title she self-applies. So... I referred to her as as, a, as dad at the beginning, and um, it's probably clear, but maybe not, that I'm holding the official pup of the marinade nonsense. Um, Kristen's a big fan of dogs. So I began the conversation with her getting to meet nonsense on uh, on Zoom, and then also by referring to her as dad. So just in case you got a little confused at the beginning, hopefully that context will help. All right, y'all, here it is, my conversation with Kristen Arnett. Hi, Dad. Hi. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Come here, nonsense. This is nonsense. Oh my goodness. Figured, oh my goodness. <laughs> I figured you'd want to meet her and her teeth. <laughs> Conundrums around here too, but he's pretty big. I don't know if I can get him up there for you to see. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, very handsome. <laughs> all right guys you're gonna be good 
There's about a 50% chance that, I, that they'll start barking and I'll have to go put them in their crates, but. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's like a, that sounds normal to me. <laughs> that's great. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I am such a fan of your work. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, it's, uh, this is one of those, like, um, you know, I've been, I've been hoping to, to get you on the show for a long time. So I'm really excited to dive in. I, you know, I, I'm in Orlando um, and, uh, so I'm, we're going to, I'm sure Florida out. So everybody listening, like, just get buckle up. It, it'll be fun. I promise. <laughs> Cause we're going to have plenty of Florida stuff to talk about. I grew up in Ocala and, um, I just feel like we're going to have plenty to discuss in that, in that realm. I got into your work because, um, I read your essay in the New York times. I was, I was standing, um, I was standing in, in line at the, um, at the car rental place. It's like in one of the hotels near downtown Orlando. And I think I know exactly where you're talking about. I, I think I, I've gotten a car from that place before. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not, it's not efficient. Or, <laughs> it's not like, so people are pissed off and like, we're waiting. This is a few years ago. And, um, I get on Twitter and somebody had posted about, um, your, uh, your Florida women are no joke. I should know essay in the New York times. Uh-huh. So I read it and that led me to read mostly dead things. I loved mostly dead things. I've raved about it on this show. And then that led me to read with teeth as well and devour that and rave about it on the show as well. So, <laughs> um, but that's how I got into your work. And, and I remember like reading it, I think th there's a universality to, to great work in, in general, but there is like an, a special attachment if you're a Florida person, <laughs> you know, to, to the, what you do. So I'm curious about like, you know, when you, when you're growing up in, in Orlando, um, what, like, when did you know you were a creative person and, and, at, and at what point did, because, and the reason I asked this question is because I think as a young person, I considered myself pretty creative, uh -huh. but I look back on it now. And while my mother, who was a teacher was certainly encouraging, the environment in Ocala, at least, um, and I, I was born on December 6, 1980. So mm -hmm. we're like really close to the same age if your Wikipedia is right. Yes, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at that time, growing up in the in the ninety in the you know the eighties and nineties, um, recognizing that I I thought I could write um, and I liked doing it. Uh, I didn't. I look back on it now and I realize like the the culture was not encouraging that. And I wonder if you had a similar experience or if you kind of early on knew and and were able to nurture that. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the way I was raised was in a very Southern Baptist, like evangelical household. So I think the ways in which I was like pushed towards creativity was very gendered. Mm -hmm. um, there were ways in which like, like, right, like I grew up um, doing a lot of choir at church and at school because that was like a thing that like I like that was fine for me to do. There were ways in which I was like, I had to take sewing classes. I had to do those like since I was like in elementary school, I had to take them for years. That was like once a week, like sewing classes at like a woman's house, like doing like sewing lessons and things like that. Wow. So it was like, I, I always liked doing a variety of things. Uh, I liked singing songs, like writing my own songs. I liked um, 
drawing a lot. I liked making little comics and like making things. And in like retrospect, looking back on these things, like so much of like what I was making was trying to make stories, mm. like in all these different kinds of ways. But I don't think like there's, there would never have been a time where my parents would have been like, you know what, we really want to strongly encourage you to like in your creative writing. Like there's no way they would have like said something like that to me. Um, I mean, because first of all, they very they were very much in charge of like anything I consumed when it came to like music or art, um, television, and especially books. Because I was a voracious reader, and I loved to read. I think pe people that like to write like generally like to read. Like we're readers yeah. first, yeah. Um, and we're we're trying to like for myself. It was like I wanted to like create worlds to escape into. Like felt like so necessary for me. Like as like a very closeted like young queer person, as a very like. I don't know, like just trying to be like in some kind of other reality that wasn't the reality that I was in. Um, so I would make, I think I would make things that I, I don't even to myself, I didn't consider them to be stories. Like I would have never considered myself to be a writer. Like it wasn't until I was, and I was always writing and making things. Like I'd make little stories and do things and I, they'd just be for myself. Like I would never show them to anyone and I would just have them. And it was like, I was like a non-traditional student. I went like to school at night as I was like working full-time at a library. And I was in this like undergrad program at Rollins, um, like the whole school at night. And as I was there, they had this program called Winter with the Writers. And I hadn't even done like a creative writing degree. I was trying to get my English degree and so I could get my master's in library so I could do like library work because I was like okay this is like a functional like degree that I'm like I have a career in um and while I was there I was like strongly encouraged to like do like some creative writing stuff and it was my first time like and I was in my by then I was in my mid-30s mm. like early 30s like I was like I was like oh I'm in a class with people and we're like workshopping and I'm like, okay, like this is some stuff I've written. And I was like getting feedback and like sharing my ideas and like the ways I thought about stuff. And I was like, oh, all this stuff I've been doing my whole life is just me being a writer and not ever having thought that myself, like in my head, like it was like not having an understanding that I was like, the things I was trying to do was try and make stories. Like I was just like, I considered myself, I think I considered myself to be creative. I always liked making things, but I, I would never have thought of myself as like a writer or like making stories. And in reality, I think pretty much everything I was doing all the time was just trying to world build. <laughs> like I was like, oh, world build even inside of like the Florida that I lived inside of. Cause obviously that's, I love writing about central Florida. Um, but I think I'm always trying to like shape and reshape the space that I'm in maybe. I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> I, I, that's an interesting answer too. I, I, I'm so a couple of things came up there that I, I guess it wasn't really, a, I, I wasn't aware of, and I'm so glad that it came up. Like that's not that long ago that you're starting to write and the scheme of things, right? Like to be a New York times bestseller, <laughs> like after eight years or so of writing or 10 years of like really pursuing it in that way. Yeah. What do you think has led to, you know, to, to being, so, and you're prolific too. I mean, there's tons of stuff out there that you've written. Um, what, what do you think led to like you getting so good so fast? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think it's like, right. We're, we're our own worst critics when it comes to like our art, I think. Um, yeah. Mostly Dead Things was, um, that was a book I worked on from like 2015 until like Tin House bought it, um, Tin House Books bought it, and then it came out in 2019. So like a four-year period of like conception of that novel 
Um, and it was the first novel I ever tried to write. I had never tried to write anything long form. Uh, like previous to that, I really did like see myself as being like a short fiction and essay writer. Like short fiction felt like, um, like I grew up really being like um, very, very into Flannery O'Connor and like uh, mm. the short fiction kind of as a, I did like my honors thesis at like my undergrad, like on Flannery O'Connor's like short fiction and novels. Like the idea of like, you know, cause short fiction is, contain I, I kind of like to compare it to like um snow globe right it's like a moment caught in time like it's a it, it's it's you know the world is in there like it, it might be a bigger world than normal it might be whatever but whatever's in the snow globe has to be inside the short story and so like like shape wise um sculpturally and like structurally uh short stories like kind of just clicked in my brain I'm like okay this is like my brain like sees it and also how I want to write in this kind of way in which like kind of Kelly like calls it like the typewriter where it's like writing down and then up to correct and then down and then up to correct. Um, that felt like, and I felt like I was getting into like a groove. And I also think, I mean, if we're talking about like improvement, um, I hope, I hope I'm always like learning and like growing from things. I don't ever feel, first of all, just in, in general, in my life, I don't ever feel like I know anything. And I don't want to ever, I feel like if I ever think I know things that I'm going to be dead, like that's probably when I'll keel over and die. Um, so it's like, um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of interest in like the questions of things. So in terms of writing, I'm just always hopeful to kind of rediscover whatever new question. I don't want to be writing like the same thing all the time. I have like, obviously like many writers do like have things that are thematic that I, that I stick with because I, it's a sweet spot for one thing, but also it's just like, I'm going to write about what I'm interested in. And I'm always interested in Florida. Um, I'm always interested in like bodies and the weirdness of bodies and how they move and fuck up and interact with other people. And I'm always interested in families and like whatever those families kind of look like um, and the messy ways that people act, like the kind of like be like human behavior. And it's like kind of like unease and discomfort. And like, so I think as I've been kind of going along I truly just like, I hope that I've been improving on writing just through the process of like continuing to work at it, kind of like kind of like exercising a muscle or something. Like I'm gonna be able to build something and like some things are like, you know, parts that are tougher for me. I've, I've worked like harder at, I've also like, I think I did a lot of was, um, as soon as I graduated from undergrad, which was like in 2012, I started, um, I, I had like work I was working on. I was like, I don't really know where to go from here. I can't do an MFA. Um, mm. I, I didn't have like the kind of money for that or anything or the time, like as I was going, I immediately was going into like my program to do library school and I was working full time. So I was like, I'm gonna like just start applying for like um, writing workshops. I'm gonna start applying for those. I was like, I, I need some more of like a kind of craft perspective um, more so than I'm just having like an alone. Uh, so I applied for several and, you know, obviously like what happens with writers all the time is we, we, we get rejected from lots of things. Yeah. So I got tons of rejections for things, but then I got into some. So, and I think that that was sincerely helped me improve was having access to like kind of groups of people to talk about stuff. Like I worked through tons of my short fiction and a lot of mostly dead things doing like doing workshops. I did Tin House a couple of years in a row. I did Kenyon. I did Lambda, uh, which was great because it's very queer. Um, and I, I, any of those things where it's like, 
also just reading like a lot of like Matt Salas's craft book that just came out, any kind of thing that's like a touchstone where I feel like it's not giving me an answer. It's showing me how to ask the question a better way is I feel like it's helping me as a writer, like improve. Um, so I don't know if that's a very roundabout way to answer. Oh, that. it's great. It's great. <laughs> okay. So when you're, so the, the couple of things there, like the, I wouldn't even know, cause I am absolutely at this stage of my writing career. I am absolutely the, uh, don't show it to anybody until it's done. And then it's like, I self edit, like I, but I know I need what you just described. I know I need to get out there and be more vulnerable. Cause it, that's the thing that I think is so interesting with what you just said there is like, there's a real vulnerability to, to being in those situations. And I wonder how comfortable you were at the time with that and how comfortable you are with it now. Oh yeah. I mean, for myself, um, I was just like, yes, please God. I was like, I'm open to this. I think I was at a point where I was like, I want to be part of this conversation so badly that it was like, I mean, I think it's always a scary thing to share work, right. Where it's like, cause I, as I said previously, I think we're, anybody who makes art we are our own worst critics like we're the harshest on ourselves we are like looking at like it was like a, with like a microscope like so so zoomed in on like the things that we've made um so when i did that first workshop like when i showed up at lambda 2013 um mostly i was nervous about like not necessarily the work because it almost seemed like i was i was scared like to be around the people and feel like I didn't feel like I belonged in the space. If that makes sense. Like I was like, all these people have been like working so hard and for so long. And like, they are like established and they're doing these things. And I was like, who am I to be here? You know, like I, I had been shocked when I got into that. I had had no publications at that point. I had just gotten out. I had applied on a whim um, and got an email saying I got in and I couldn't, literally couldn't believe it um, that I had gotten into this workshop. Um, so I, I was showing up with this thing where I felt like, not that I needed to prove myself, but kind of like, cause I am like a people person and I love hanging out with people. So I was like, I was like, oh great. But it was like, a kind of like, I was like maybe a little feeling like a fraud. <laughs> like I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm, I'm here, but it's like, I'm gonna just fake it till I make it kind of. And it was, uh, it's such a, I think going to these workshops is like so helpful in a number of ways. First of all, it's like, I made like lifelong writer friends at these mm -hmm. things. And that to me is actually the most substantial thing that happened aside from like, right. Talking about craft, going to like panels and things like that, which are also cool that I've like retained. Like I have like lifelong friendships with other writers that I deeply value their work that I've made for these things. Um, and a thing I, that I think that, is an experience that happens from doing things like workshops. And I think that this would even happen in an MFA program, even though I don't have that personal experience, is that you learn which feedback is gonna be valuable to you. Cause not at necessarily, you have to kind of learn that going in. I think there's like this impulse, especially like I know that I was this way, or if you haven't been in that kind of thing before where you haven't been doing workshop, you get in and you immediately are just like inundated with like, right? Like a room full of people's ideas about what you're trying to make right you're like um because a lot of times too they'll do like the iowa method where it's like right um a lot of places are actually trying to expand out of that now but like the traditional method of workshop is you, everybody has your piece you sit at the table and they go around for probably an hour and discuss your piece and you're not allowed to talk 
like they all discuss it. That's like the traditional like Iowa writers workshop way that like workshop happens. And at the end of that time, the writer is allowed to like ask some questions or like hey, say some things, but you're not supposed to talk while it's happening. So my first few times kind of going through that, I was like feverishly like writing notes and like taking all of this in and trying to take it from everyone. And it's just simply not, I think it helps you develop a skill set about what kind of information is going to be helpful to you for your work. And it's like, by the time I got done with my last workshop, which was like 10 house in 2016, I felt like I had like developed like the skill sets to be like, I know what information is going to be valuable to me. And I know what information like doesn't apply necessarily to what I'm trying to make. Not that their advice isn't good or whatever they're doing, but it's like for me and this particular moment in this piece of work, I, uh, I've developed a skill set where I understand what this work needs and I can see what's going to be helpful and what is going to not be helpful to me. And some of that stuff too, is that, um, right? Like um, not everybody is our reader, <laughs> right. right? Like right. not everybody is going to be your reader. Um, like famously, there's nobody who like has a book that like every single person is like a reader of. But I mean, I think you kind of go into it being like, here's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to like keep that in mind. And the advice that I've given like editorially um, or conceptually about like a piece of work I'm trying to do, I will take into consideration the stuff that's in keeping that it stays within the parameters, like the boundaries of that vision that I have for myself. Because I think edits are really important. And I also think it's great to have like a, a trusted set of eyes, like on a piece of work that you're trying to do. Once you have it to a point where you're like, okay, this is, I see it. It's something like being able to like, kind of share that with some people have a lot of readers at this point in time, I have like one reader. Um, and I think, cause I think it's all different kinds of stuff. And I'm also like, like what you were saying, I'm like, I'm not a person that necessarily feels comfortable, like showing work. I'm in like mid processing to a bunch of people. Like it feels messy enough to me that it just needs to stay with me. Cause it's just like, I like, it's like a garbage spaghetti. Like I need to fuck around with it before I can throw that to anyone else. But um, I know there's plenty of people that don't do that. I know like famously Takira Madden has like many readers and she will like, like have like contrasting viewpoints. She'll like totally rewrite like long form work through like advice of like multiple readers. She'll even like do like drafts of things that she's writing like into like like on advice like change like first person a third or like do like a close third or like change something like that so I think to each their own and I think every every process is totally valid and just different I think it's just what a kind of works with your brain but those workshops are like for me it was like meeting these like writer friends who I felt like such an affinity with and a kinship with with their work it felt like our works were having conversations with each other um, that felt really helpful. It feels, I think it's, it feels so helpful and good to have like a community, like a community of people to be like, I like you as a person. And also I totally trust your opinion and I like what you're doing. And we could have a discussion about like, I mean, quote unquote craft. I think sometimes that sounds like, you know, stuff's it's like, I would like jargony stuff sounds like really pretentious, but yeah, like sometimes have a fucking conversation about like craft or have a conversation about like a stupid movie that we liked and like why the writing and it worked or something, you know, like yeah. um, those workshops were helpful for that. And I think they helped me understand like what information is going to be helpful and, and what information I needed to not utilize, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't sound pretentious if you throw fucking in there too. Like <laughs> <laughs> you just smooth everything out, smooth everything out. Um, okay. So 
on, on just like on a, and this is a selfish question because I want to do this stuff is just on like a practical level. Are you like back to, were you just Googling workshop or how are oh. you getting connected? Like I wouldn't even know where to start. Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, the thing that's like a good thing now is there's like, there actually are like, like you literally could Google that now and you're going to, things are going to pop up that are like, because now there's people who've like put together like compendiums, like a thing that happens monthly, like this month, like residencies to apply for fellowships to apply for here's like, um, journals that are having like open submission periods, like for myself, like I am a librarian also. So my research brain, like didn't mind kind of doing that logistical kind of background work. Cause I was like, Oh, finally something I know how to do. Like, I was like, I know how to do research so I can figure some of this stuff out. Um, but like now, now, like in, in 2021, there's like way more resources. And there were even like when I was doing that stuff in 2013, there's like places where that kind of stuff is like compiled. Like you literally can Google like writing workshops and like one of those lists will come up in Google. But um, another, yeah, a, a thing too is it's like, if you know other writers like online, like Twitter was like an invaluable resource for me as a young writer. Mm -hmm. I followed a lot of authors and like, I didn't bother people with like a ton of questions or anything because I don't think anyone likes that. But there's plenty of people that just post about different shit going on. Like you, there's so many things happening that it's like, there's no way to know every single thing that's going to be open or happening or whatever is going on. I felt like it was like really trial and error. It's not like, um, it wasn't easy all the time. I, I ended up doing this thing when I was submitting to journals all the time where I, I put together like an Excel spreadsheet of like the journals that I knew I wanted to submit work to. And then I would put like, I'd be like, here's the journal, here's their submission dates here's like how much it costs here's like the parameters because some places are like no simultaneous submissions some places are like um you know it's going to cost like 15 dollars. or some places are like it can only be like under five thousand words and some places are like it can be long form and some places are like it can be flash like i put all that information in along with like a link and that thing is like so out of date now but at the time it was like so helpful for me because i'd be like now i have this like ongoing resource and i started sharing it with people like if anybody asked me at the time i'd be like let me send you this like i put this thing together let's all have like access to like information and resources and shared resources because i do think sometimes even now when there's like more access to information publishing and the way publishing works can be like very I feel like purposely mysterious it kind of is like has gatekeepers so it's a little hard for people to know like what's going on or like have access to the information so like any way that there can be like transparency in how stuff works or um access to information like the librarian part of my brain like wants to make that happen like i want to share resources with everybody but it truly was like i know for me like with lambda it was i had a, an undergrad professor my last semester when i was doing that finally doing one with the writers and doing writing that they were like they were they were queer and they're like you're a queer writer your writing is good there's this workshop you should apply to it and they sent it to me but that was the i wouldn't have known about that otherwise if that person hadn't told me um and then from there, kind of going and meeting other writers, hearing about, that's another thing I started doing too, like crazy authors I read that I really liked, like contemporary writers. I wanted to see where they'd been published. Um, I wanted to see um, what kind of workshops that they went to or what kind of fellowships they had. And I, I was like, okay, 
I really admire this writing. This is the kind of writing I want mine to be like. I'm going to try and apply for some of the things that these people who I, I know I admire their work have, have done. And that was a thing I did too, which I think was very helpful. I think it's like, I mean, um, that was how I went about getting an agent also, although that's like usually like well down the line, right? Like you want to have like a, like a, like a selection of like work published places. You want to have like, if you're writing like a novel or something like that, you want to have like a completed manuscript that you're like sending them over. Um, but like when I looked for agents, I looked at authors I really liked and I'm like, who are their agents? Cause I, and that way when I queried, when I sent out like a letter being like, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I write. I really like that you have this person, this person, this person. I admire their writing. And here's how I think my writing fits in with the people that you already have. Um, it was helpful to me. But a lot of that was like a lot of legwork. And you know what? People are really busy. I was, yeah, because I, I, I was like working full time and going to school and doing all kinds of bullshit. And I was like, I, you have to kind of carve out these little like pockets of time. And it, it takes a lot of time and it's also very like it can be very discouraging too because of the like you get like a shit ton of rejections like all the time and people saying no 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 oh another thing that i think is super helpful that i did was i not only like started applying to submit my workplaces i um applied to be a reader like i applied to like read slush for journals because i was like i don't really understand how the process works from the other end and i'd love to be reading and see what that is like. So I got hired on as a reader for Guernica, reading fiction for them. Um, and that was like eye-opening because then you see literally how many submissions are coming in, what kind of acceptance rates are happening. Um, and they're small and very minuscule kind of acceptance <laughs> rate. But it's another way too, to kind of be like, I learned so much doing that just from the opposite end, like being on the back end of that. Like, I was like, I will never do this thing. I will never do X, Y, Z. I will never do that stuff. I will try and do this kind of thing. I will also have a better understanding of like who I'm talking to, like through um, the internet. And another thing too, is like those opportunities kind of lead into other opportunities, right? Like being a reader at Guernica, like Meekan Armstrong, who heads up Guernica over there, I'd been there for a while, and he gave me an opportunity to be a reader for the Penn Bellwether Prize. So then I got to do that. And it's just like opportunities kind of touching into other opportunities. And they were like, they end up being like kind of linked in that kind of way. It's a, but it's a, it's a way that's like, no one tells you how to do any of that shit. Yeah. Like there's no like way to know how to do it. It truly is like, if anybody tells you they know what they're doing with that shit, then they absolutely do not, or they have a lot of money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, thank you so much for all of that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Twitter. You mentioned Twitter and like it has been, and for folks listening, if you don't follow Kristen on Twitter, you need to follow Kristen on Twitter. She's great. She's great at it. But um, the, cause I, th I was just having this conversation uh, <clears throat> a couple of days ago with someone who I met through Twitter because Ooh. the, like I've made all these friends that now as things start to open up a little bit and as like, now I can go back to festivals and things I've met all these, especially specifically musicians that are Americana, uh, musicians i've met so many of them through twitter and not, and we've kind of become twitter buddies and then we met in real life and i was like oh these people are, are actually cool too like you know but that's led to so many you know moments where i'm interviewing somebody like for example i was interviewing someone in uh in nashville at americana fest 
And then my my buddy Will Payne Harrison, who I met through Twitter, was there taking some photos. And then the artist that I was interviewing was like, "Oh, hey, I need a photographer tonight." And like all those moments started to happen. But it all started on Twitter, you know. It yeah. all started there. But then it, those connections start to happen, and that's interesting. Like I, I'm not plugged into literary Twitter really, so I, I like that. I like the thought of like making being a little bit more deliberate about it, you know, and reaching out. It's like I, I have been writing more uh, reviews. Of of, of books, for example, um, which helps me to, to, to flex that creative muscle, but also helps connect me with, with authors, you know? Sure, yeah. um, and this kind of thing is just invaluable. The authors that I have talked with um, are just so, one of the things that I think I've noticed at least is just, they're so open. Like everybody's just like, yeah, let's share how this, you know, how I got through this. And, and I guess part of that is that you're spilling a lot of yourself onto the page regardless, right? Like you're, you're putting a lot of yourself, even if these characters are not you, there's going to be a lot of you in what you're writing. And so by nature, you kind of have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And I, I do think it's like, I, I think if you encounter somebody who is doing the opposite of that and trying to like, keep anybody out then that's not somebody that you want to get to know anyway like right. I, I i mean it's just it's nobody is in writing i mean unless you're like friggin james patterson or stephen king like no one's in it for the money like no one's getting like right like a gigantic paycheck like why shouldn't there be resource sharing and the reason that we get into writing or like right like I, the idea of sharing stories but also like to engage with other people's work like we don't we write in a silo but our works aren't in a silo like when our work comes out it's all in conversation with each other so it makes sense that like we would want like i want people to succeed like i want people to be successful and for their stories to be out there and to be like right like a myriad of different kinds of stories and different kinds of things like there's no need to like kind of gatekeep and be like well if their thing gets published than mine doesn't. I think that's like the scarcity mentality of like how art can be. And that's like not how art needs to function or should function. Like it shouldn't be this kind of thing where it's like, ah, we're in, in heated competition with each other to see who can get like something published is like, if that's like the way things are working, then I'm not, I don't want to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, a hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, there, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I've always said some, like uh, sometimes people, people will say uh, artists that I talk to will say something, especially because I talk to a lot of white guys with guitars and that, and there's plenty of us, <laughs> you know, like there's way, there's a lot of us and, and uh -huh. we're, um, and maybe the world doesn't need another one, but I've always kind of said like, I don't know, maybe you got, you know, you're going to come at things from a different perspective. Yes. There are, there are, way more white guys with guitars out there doing it and getting and getting attention for the thing that they do than um than people of color with guitars or women with guitars or queer artists with guitars the the white straight guys with guitars have been doing it a long time and they still get a lot of press but also some of them have a lot of really interesting things to say and so i i'm kind of of the of a belief like yes we need to elevate all kinds of voices and we can do that and have more art right like more is better i think I, I definitely uh, a way of like there I never want to look at a situation and be like there should be less um I never want there to be less stories or less books or less like art like I just want to have like a breadth of it and I think that's what that's what makes good art is when it can be like in contrast and conversation that kind of way so yeah and I think that the idea that there's there's only room for like a single story is literally insane like it's a it's like the idea that like any one person would be telling the story of an entire group of people. It is like 
like nonsense. Like it doesn't work that way. So I don't know. It's exciting to see too. Like, I mean, yeah, everybody has like different experiences. Everybody's writing in different kinds of ways. Everybody's doing all kinds of different shit. And also publication is different for everybody, right? Like, you know, like there's so many, like my book, like Mostly Dead Things came out with Tin House, which is not, if they weren't like a big press, they're like a good indie press. Um, they, um, and they were great, like, they, but it was like a different kind of thing. And now I'm over at like Penguin Random House and with Riverhead. So it's like a different publication experience, but those, there's room for like all different kinds of ways that stories get out into the world, right? Mm. Like there's not like an, like there's not a single trajectory for how like publication or story making happens. It's all just different in every, those things are all good. Like they're yeah. all good and all different. That's great. When, when you're, when you were working on mostly dead things, you talked about this a little bit earlier, how like you're, you're doing these workshops and you're writing all kinds of things and you're doing, you're doing the work and um, the novel starts to come out of that moment, but it's a pretty long process. Um, at what point did you, did you go and, and what helped you to see like, okay, this is something that I, other people need to see. This is something that is, you know, is good. Like, did you have a moment or, or like, did you, you know, like, what did that look like? Yeah. Um, I, for a long time, I was like, cause I'd never written a novel before. Right. And so but mostly dead things started as actually started as a short story because I got really into taxidermy. Like I got like obsessive about taxidermy started as like kind of like a joke. I was looking at a lot of shitty taxidermy online for like fun. And then I got like, as my brain normally does and like, haha, this is funny to me. And then I'm like, why is it funny? I want to know more about taxidermy. So I started doing research on taxidermy and I got really fascinated by the kind of breadth of information there was right there's like no one way to taxidermy there's like skinning is not like you know a mount is not like a whole animal is not like a bird or like a fish or like small mammal versus like you know like something bigger like are you going to make a rug are you going to do like articulate a skeleton like those things are all totally different in their own different science and that to me I love when I feel like I know about something and then quickly discover that it's like that's like, I've only like thought about like the tip of the iceberg and there's like a whole bunch of information underneath. That's always very exciting to me. So I, when I get excited about things, when I get obsessive about things, I write about those things. So I was like, I'm going to try and write a short story about um, a brother and sister who like taxidermy this like beloved family friends, like pet goat, and they're going to fuck it up really bad. Like they fuck this goat up and then they're so mad at each other and they're in a huge fight and they're trying to figure out how they can like fix this goat and that's going to be the short story I'm trying to write but really it's about the relationship between the brother and sister um so I started writing this short story and it's like the first time in my life I was writing a story and I couldn't end I was like I can't like I'm thinking about like, what were they like when they were kids? I'm like, what is like their neighborhood? Like, I was like, what is it like? What are their relationships with the parents that aren't even in the story? Like, and that's like not in the snow globe. Like that thing I talked about earlier. Like I was like, those are all things like that's like a big world. And so I'd never written anything like that before. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I was like, I've never tried to write something so large. Like I've never tried to create a world that's that big that houses this many people and ideas and like scenes and narrative and so what I did was with the thought of that I like maybe I maybe somebody would see this someday maybe somebody wouldn't because by that point I'd been publishing um short fiction like I'd had you know stories come out in good journals and I was like I don't know what this process is like I didn't have an agent by that point I was like we'll see I was like no one has to look at this but me like if I write it and it turns out to be garbage like great. Like no one has, no one has known about it, but me. Mm -hmm. So 
I was like, I'll just give myself some rules. And my rules were like, I'm going to write a thousand words a day, Monday through Friday. Um, I, it can be more, it can't be less. Um, and then if I want to write on the weekends, I can, but I don't have to. So like at the end of each week, I'd have a minimum of 5,000 words by the end of like a month, I'd have 20,000 words minimum. And by the end of several months, I'd have, you know, something book length. I don't know if it's a book or not. So I, and the second rule I gave myself was that I was not going to let myself edit as I went. I was like, I'm not going to look at it. I was really worried that I would, um, throw it away before I was done. And I was like, I want to give myself a chance to see if it's something. So yeah, June of 2015, I started this process, this kind of practice I gave myself. Um, and it was really, I was like going to school at night and like working all day. So I had to get up like really early and go into like the library where I worked and like be in the dark and like drinking coffee and like trying to write my like thousand words into this document before I had to like open the library. And by the end of several months, I had a thing and I was like, I'll look at it later to see if I, I think it's something. I closed it. I didn't look at it again till the new year, until like January of 2016. And I looked at it and I was like, this is garbage. It's a mess. I was like, it's a mess. It's a mess. And then I, but I was like, is this something I asked myself, I was like, it can be garbage. It can be a mess. It can be something we, you know, maybe I can look at it. Do I still, am I still interested in it? Am I, am I still interested in it? And the answer to that was yes. I was like, I'm interested in this. And so for me, it was less about like, it became less about like, do I think this is something other people would want to read? And it was more about like, is this something I feel like is worth my time? And when something is worth, I feel like it's worth my time, um, then I think about it all day. I think about it like nonstop. It's even if I'm not like actively working on something then it's sitting in the back of my head and that's how I know that's a thing that's going to be something. Wow. Um, you know, any, any of the things I've done, like with teeth was like that too. Um, and that process, that writing process was a lot faster. That was, was going to be my question. I imagine <laughs> it was. That was a lot faster. That was a dramatically different kind of experience. But um, part of that, part of that reasoning too, is that like I had started writing like the beginning of with teeth. Um, I had about like 70 pages of with teeth, maybe less, probably about 70 pages. Um, and mostly dead things had done really well. Um, and so I had a lot of publishers reaching out to my agent being like, hey, does Kristen have anything else? Does Kristen have another book? Um, and so what ended up happening is I was like, I have a short fiction collection because I did, I had short stories I've been working on. And I was like, I have the beginning of what I think is gonna be my next novel. And these publishers were all interested. It ended up, it ended up going to auction and I sold my short fiction collection and I sold this piece of a novel that was not done, um, at like an 11 bitter auction. Um, and it was like basically me being like, you guys are buying 70 pages of an undone book and I don't outline. So I was like, I can't even tell you what's going to happen in this book. Um, cause I don't know yet. So it was like, that was a completely different process. It was like, cause with mostly dead things, that was me just like alone on a computer being like, you know, this might just be trash, but it's my little private piece of trash. And I'm like working on it and I had time, you know, I could like fuck around with it and it was whatever with this was different. Like, you know, like a public, a major publisher, like a big five publisher just bought 70 pages of something. And now I have to like do the rest of it. I was like, it was a completely, completely different kind of process. Um, and I did it quick. Like they bought it 
in August of 2019. Um, and then I was like, okay, I have this many pages. I was like, I will get you the draft of it. The end of January of 2020 was when the draft was due. Wow. So I was like, okay, wow. this, it couldn't be a fucked up mess. Like it needed to be clean. So it was me like furiously getting that done. Although I will tell you this, I've never been more, been more glad that I turned that draft in January of 2020, because we all know what happened in March. So I wow. was like, thank God I got this draft like done and filed and away from me. But it was a totally different process. And I think every single book is going to be that same kind of way. You know? Oh, that was going to be my next question is if you feel like <laughs> it is going to change in that way. Oh, so first of all, that was so helpful for me. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, so thank you for all of that. Also, I'm just super like, this is my first time meeting you, but I've spent a lot of time with your work. I'm just super stoked for you that like, that you went through that, that you had that solitary time. Because what I hear there is that Mostly Dead Things, this wonderful novel, this New York Times bestseller, this novel that's reached so many people and um, has given so many people so much joy that this thing started with you being like, I'm going to get up and do the fucking work. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to show up to, to do the work. And it's the, and it, and even, and it was just for the sake of the process of doing it. You did it for you. You did it for that, for the, for that work and that yeah. it became what it became. And that now you have this career. Uh, it's just, I'm just so stoked for you. That's so cool. Thank you. I mean, it's one of those things too, where it's like, um, at the end of the day, I want to, I want to want to do work. Like I want to, I want to want to make art. I think there's a couple of things like it got, it changed for me, um, after mostly dead things, because I was able to, you know, mostly dead things did well enough. I was able to quit my full-time job that I'd had since I was like 19 years old. Um, I'd never not been like actively doing school and like work. Um, so it was like, oh, I am able to like support myself legitimately through writing now. And so writing has like become my full-time job. And it was a tough transition because so much of like, which isn't, it feels like a horrible thing to say. It's like, oh, poor me. Like I, like I get to write full-time, like, okay. Like people have a lot of shit they have to do. Like writing full-time is not like anything to complain about, but it was like retraining my brain. Cause it was like, I was so used to writing being as like an escape right like where it's like mm. oh it's like this personal time just for me to, to like make art and special this kind of thing and now it's like my job so it's like you know when I get up to like you know I, I try I try and work every day I try and do like to be like like I don't like give myself like a weekend or something I'm like okay like whenever I want to write I'm like writing um mm. but it's also like okay this is my job now and I have to think of it in terms of like consumer culture like capitalism which is like wow. oh like it's like my brain has never thought about writing in that kind of way before and it was kind of stunting for a while because I was like I don't like to think about it like this it makes it so it's difficult like I don't want to like wake up and be like oh shit I gotta go to my job now you know because I was like so like I would be like before I'd be like oh god I don't want to get up and go like really early open the library but I was like oh, I really want to like really want to sit and have that time to like kind of make this like thing that I'm feeling really excited about. So it's been a weird transition to be like when I first like was able to like quit my job, I would like get up every day and like 
I would like clean my whole house. Like I would be like, I need to do something. I was like, I'm not doing anything, you know? Cause I've never like trained my brain to think of writing as like work. Wow. So I was like, I would get up and I'd be like, I'm going to mop the floors. Like I'm going to like clean my entire kitchen. I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm going to make sure I do this now. And I'm going to write. And at the end of the day, I'd still be like, God, did I do anything? I'd be worn out. Like I'd be fucking tired. <laughs> but I was like, I've never not had like a full-time job. Like my whole adult life. I've never not had that like a nine to five. And like many of my library jobs were like not nine to five. It'd be like something crazy. It'd be like six in the morning to like stupid eight at night or something. So it's like, I've never not had like that happening. And so going into it being like, okay, I'm going to like get up in the morning and have a little cup of coffee and sit on down in front of the old laptop and boot up Microsoft Word and like let the genius pour out. No, it's just a like, it's like, oh, it's just the same kind of nightmare drivel that happened before just because I'm like get paid to do it now doesn't make it any better oh <laughs> like- wow <laughs> so has it has it oh it's so interesting um has it and and this is ever present in my mind right now the idea of of making a life out of uh creative work I, I've been a teacher for most of my adult life a middle school teacher and a high school teacher and um, part of why I've done that is because I ha- I uh, have a law degree that costs me a lot of fucking money, and so I have like a I, I, yeah I had a mountain of student debt until Friday of last week and really congratulations yep. <laughs> that's amazing right Good for you. thank you yeah that's change amazing. changes to the public uh, service loan forgiveness program under the Biden administration it just it's a it's a game changer for me for my family yeah. you know Hell like yeah. it's um just just a total game changer and but and one of the big changes is this I love teaching like I work yeah. with sixth and seventh graders I love it like I'm a um, I teach writing. I got a, a great gig and um, and I love going to work every day. But part of why I've stayed in education is because of the public service loan forgiveness program. Like there right. are times when I thought, well, I kind of want to do this thing or that thing. Or I want to devote more time to the the podcast and to writing and all these different things that that are really fulfilling for me. But I have in the back of my mind kind of felt like I wonder how that would affect my process if I were to start to go for it a little bit more, I'm not in a place now, like I don't have the, any contacts or anything. So I'm not really at a place now where I could make that leap and still pay my mortgage. But, right. you know, like I, I am curious about what the future looks like and like how that would impact how much joy I get from sitting down to the keyboard. So yeah. has, has it like impacted the joy you get from it? Cause you mentioned kind of feel, feeling a little stilted at first. I think it was, uh, a process. And that was something I wish that like I had known that was going to happen. And I feel like I should have, but in my, so I will say like, I just was ill prepared for what the transition would be look like, would look like. I mean, at where I am now, I'm making, I'm making art again, and I'm excited about it. And that is like all I care about. Like, but it it was like a, I think part of it too, was that like, right when I was able to do that pandemic happened mm. and I was like I don't know how much of this is tied up in like the kind of like you know like total ennui and terror of like every like the collective society of us all having to deal with like so much horrible shit all at once and that's like you know because there's been like plenty of people who were like oh now everybody's gonna be home they'll write like the amazing novel they've been wanting to write like no your brain's broken like no one can work <laughs> make anything like we're all like in a terror dome you know like it's like 
you can't be expected to like, oh, sit down and make something like beautiful and like artistic and like some kind of genius work. I mean, people did, don't get me wrong, but it's like overwhelmingly, no. I was like, damn, my brain is fucked. I was like, I'll <laughs> never write again. I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on. Um, it was real bad. So, but like where I am now, I feel like I honestly couldn't write anything. And then right around mm. March of the 2021, like right around March, uh, maybe like end of March, 2021, like, so like, like a full on year, um, after like pandemic started, there was something happened in my brain. And I started like, basically like, I like threw up like some novel drafts. I was like, Bleh. like, I've been like holding stuff in, I feel like for a really long time, but I finally got to a point where it's like, my brain was like, okay, like, will those things like ever see the light of day? I don't know, but I have three different drafts of wow. three different novels and I'm working on a fourth one. Wow. And I, was like, I am going to write as much garbage, like straight up garbage as my brain will let me. Cause I haven't been able to work for like a year. Like I was like, I hadn't been able to, I mean, I wrote things, but it wasn't the same. It was like, I was down in front of the computer and feel like I was like, I would rather think of 500 million things I'd rather be doing than doing this right now. I was like, I'd rather go outside. I would rather like talk on the phone. I would rather go have a beer. I'd rather do anything than sit down and open this word document. And that was a shitty way to feel about like something that my whole life has kind of been there as this reassuring, like thing that made me, makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger part of the world, like, you know, like making, making art. So yeah, like just, it was just like, a, I think it was a lot of different things all coming together, but it really was like, it took a long time to get myself to a place where I was like, okay, like I, I'm working again. Like I'm making things again. And that's all I care about. I don't care as much about people seeing any of them. Right, I just right. want to know that I'm making them. Like, I was like, I want to know my brain is like still capable of like, and part of it too is that like I have to every time I make a new book or every time I make something new is like the it's like breaking down my old process and rebuilding whatever this new one is going to be and that's like a hard thing to relearn like over and over and over again yeah because every time I want to be like okay now I'm going to use like the tools that I gave myself for the last book and those tools like I don't know. I like think about it as like, okay, it's like Ikea furniture or something. Like those parts don't fit for this. Those yeah. parts don't fit for this. That doesn't go with that. So. <laughs> the, how did you, if you're not writing for a year and you're a writer um, mm -hmm. and you talked a little bit about how when you first started, you know, the full-time thing, how you kind of felt out of sorts a little bit, like, yeah. what have I done today? What have I accomplished today? Even though you had done quite a bit, yeah. like how did that impact your mental health in that? Not, uh, not good. Not, it was not great, buddy. Like, I don't I'm think sorry. anybody, no, I think nobody, yeah. was, nobody has been in like a really good space. I think mentally, uh, I mean, and there were things like, I don't like, don't get me wrong. Like, cause I had stuff that I had to do. So I had stuff that I like grit my teeth and I was like I am gonna write this stupid thing like but no like I didn't do any kind of novel work or anything like that I had edits I had to do for with teeth and I was like thank god for these because I was like it's here it is it's like a work I've already worked on I can sit and do these edits I can do copy edits like I did that kind of stuff um I um I had essays that were like due for me that I had to like give I needed to do like a blurbs for people like I had books I had to read and like do blurbs and things and so I was doing like piecemeal kind of stuff but uh my heart like just was not in it and I don't think I think it was hard for 
Like, I know I'm not alone in that. Like that shouldn't be like as reassuring as it was, but I was like, mm. I know it's not just me, like not able to like make art happen. It was like sh a struggle, but it was like, I don't know. Cause also like at the same time, like it's like, a. I'm, I was like, I'm in a really good relationship. Like my girlfriend and I like moved in together. I was like, I'm really happy. Like in my like personal relationships, like I'm, I have a lot of good friends in my life that I'm like very lucky to have and feel good about. Like my career is in this place where I want it to be. It was like, it was almost like things kind of flipped. Whereas like previously, like my writing was like my solace. I'm like, this is the place where things are good. And then like, everything else in my life is kind of, and then now it's like all the other things in my life are really good. And these are great. And then my writing's like, ah. uh, so I'm working on a balance. I feel like I have like reached equilibrium again. And who's to say it probably will flip around again. But like I, I am working, I'm working on projects I'm excited about. Um, and that's all, that's like literally all I care about at this point is like, let me just like make my stupid little stories and I'll be fine. <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh. Um, a couple, just a couple more things and I'll, and I'll let you go. I'm so great. You've been so gracious with your time and so open and I'm just really, this has been everything that I hoped it would be and more. Um, but a couple of like uh, Florida things. So I'm reading, as I'm reading with teeth, um, and it, you know, and it's, it's set here, right? So like there's, and I, I grew up in Ocala, but I fell in love with a woman who lived here. And so, um, I was living in Jacksonville at the time. She uh -huh. wasn't about to move to Jacksonville. <laughs> so I now live here. <laughs> um, and I love it here. I really do. I, I love Orlando. It's been, it's been good to me. And, um, and I, and I love it here. It's so easy here, you know, like it, at this stage in my life, like a, as a four year old um with a good job and everything but there's some places that like as i'm reading i i'm even though they're not named necessarily they're kind of generalized i'm picturing a certain place so uh -huh. like there's a scene in a bowling alley and and i'm wondering if like that if you're picturing colonial lanes in that moment or like if there's a particular place you're picturing when you're uh, when you're writing about like the 7-elevens is there a particular 7-eleven yeah my 7-eleven because i like my 7-eleven that i had in orlando was like basically my, my neighborhood bar so whenever i'm writing about a 7-eleven i in my heart i'm writing about that 7-eleven but the bowling alley was like a kind of a, a i i tried to do like a mashup between colonial lanes and a loma bowl uh, like i was like i'm trying to get this kind of like because Aloma Bowl was like my bowling alley that I went to, but uh, I, I did. I was like, I was thinking about like very specific. I was like trying to like figure out like, because I did. I based like some stuff like I don't want thing. I mean, some of the stuff you know how it is. It's like it could be anywhere in Orlando. Some of those yeah, like kind yeah. of like cookie cutter like apartment <laughs> complexes like in the gated community with the pools like set around and like the very specific landscaping and like you have to drive around for a million years because you can't figure out which building it is. Um, but like uh, like I wrote like the gay club in that book that's in that book is like very much based on like Southern, which is like over off of Bumby. Yeah. Like when I was writing it, I was like seeing it in my mind as I personally was like imagining walking through it. So that was like and I 100% was in Southern as I'm reading that, like, like in my mind, you know, we live over by Lake Underhill. So okay. like, yeah. And we used to live right. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's a, there's a, a apartment complex, like two blocks um, from Southern. We uh -huh. lived in that apartment complex. Um, 
And so, yeah, 100% I was in Southern, like, <laughs> like in my head as I was reading those scenes. That's great that you just made my day more, more so in um, Southern craft. Cause that's typically where I, I would go. Yeah. Like I, yeah. you know, I haven't been there in a while, but, um, but we, we used to go there and walk down there and have cocktails all the time. So that's great. Okay. I've kind of figured for folks, <laughs> for folks listening, Colonial Lanes is this kind of iconic in the same neighborhood from as Southern Nights, the club is this yeah. kind of iconic 1950s. I want to say it was yeah. Bill and like, unfortunately recently closed. And then they put a giant storage, um, you know, unit up uh, and half of the building was knocked down. It was a whole thing. I, I taught at the school right across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, from colonial lanes when all that was happening. And like, I brought kids, brought really cute, smart kids to the city council meeting and like city commission meeting and like tried to talk them into not <laughs> building, <laughs> not building that damn storage thing. <laughs> so yeah, there are all kinds of moments like that. Um, <clears throat> that for me made, you know, made both of the books, but um, especially with teeth, like being here made it like a, a special thing for me. What so geography and clearly Florida itself is is a big big thing for you and so a big theme that's such an understatement but like what about I heard you say something recently on an interview and I'm so sorry I can't remember it was a great interview it was another author who interviewed you and um she uh, during the conversation you said something to the effect of like and I don't want to misquote you that's why I want to ask you about what you said is like. <laughs> The idea of Orlando, not necessarily because when I think of, let me back up. When I think of Orlando, especially having grown up in Ocala, uh, uh-huh. I think of Orlando as incredibly uh, gay friendly, incredibly yeah. um, like open. And but you kind of said something to the effect of like that ha- wasn't necessarily your experience. And I'm curious about that because like, you know, yeah. for for me as a as a, a, a guy who grew up in Ocala, attracted to women when I got here, I was like, Oh shit, this is great, man. They're so progressive here, you know? Um, but I'm curious about your experience and like, you know, yeah, I mean, I think like, cause I, I think first of all, um, the gay culture in Orlando is growing like where, where things are now. It's amazing. Like you're right. You go down mills and like over like mills 50, it's like amazing. There's all kinds of shit over there now. Like, um, I, the zebra coalition is over there and I fucking love zebra coalition. Okay. I talk to them every year. Like, uh, they're like very close to my heart as a, as a person who grew up very closeted and queer and did not have like assistance and help in that kind of way. It's like, can, can you explain to folks listening what the zebra, cause they are, they do great work. Oh, can you explain sure, what it yeah. is? Folks might zebra. want to donate or anything. Yeah. I mean, and if people would, it's amazing. It helps, um, kids like kids between, um, LGBTQ plus kids, um, with the money they need and support they need, like, especially with like homelessness, there's like a, a large population of like homeless young youth, especially queer youth, um, in, in central Florida and zebra coalition, like puts money, like puts money towards like school and like supplies and like housing for like unhoused youth, um, queer youth. And it's like so important. I think everything they're doing is like amazing and they're expanding. Like they've been doing like a lot of great things. So, um, your money would be going to a very worthwhile, <laughs> worthwhile yeah. place um, if you ever wanted to give to them. But, um, when I was growing up, um, it is like a space where it's like, uh, cause I grew up, I grew up in Orlando. I went to Winter Park High School. Uh, I went to Glenridge <laughs> middle uh-huh. school. Uh, 
And uh, I went to old Audubon Park Elementary School back where I was over like on the sinkhole um, <laughs> before they moved it into like Baldwin Park. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a big yeah. beautiful building now. It is. I was like, oh my god, it's so fancy. But yeah. um, it's uh, it, growing up there. It was like uh, that was not like I did not grow up in like a, where it would be queer friendly. I didn't know know any people who were gay when I was in high school, and I would have died if anyone knew that kind of thing about me like it would have been awful and even like as an adult living there like uh in Orlando there's I mean we can say like with assurance right now there's what three gay bars in Orlando and Orlando's humongous there's Parliament House there's um Southern I think there's like one other one and there used to be Pulse and Pulse is no longer there right like there's yeah. like and Parliament House even closed for a little while or was yeah. about to close yeah yeah there's like uh, there's a ton of queer people right because also a lot of a lot of queer people love to come work at theme parks um right so we have like a lot of like queer people um we have a great pride that happens every year um awesome. we don't have a ton of spaces that are queer spaces like we're having more now but not a lot considering how many queer people live in Orlando like if you like look comparatively at some place that has like I don't know like like that was like a thing I had with my editor when I was talking about writing with teeth because I was like there's also like the queer spaces that are there are like nightlife and party culture so it's like if you're like a parent right like somebody who's like raising a kid like what is their like my editor was like why wouldn't you know sammy join like a gay mom group i'm like there's not a gay mommy group in orlando right, like that's right. not, i'm like it's not brooklyn like, i'm like this is not like the same thing so it's like it's not that it's like orlando is like unfriendly for gay people it's that there's not there's not queer spaces like there's right. not like and and like we have like we went like this last election we went more blue than we had in a while um which is true we went more blue than miami did which was shocking to me um but it still is places where it's like i vividly recall like people being like you know trying to like over like we don't want like gay marriage like that was when i was an adult like all those things like in people's yards my parents yard like so it's like a lot of things like thinking about that it's like florida's not the south but there is this still like this mix of things of like very like christian conservative values and like places and things and yeah they're for the for the amount of queer people that are there, there's not like, right? Like we have gay IHOP. You know where that IHOP is, like the gay IHOP that's over like near downtown. <laughs> there's like a gay Chili's like over by like, you know, like the art school. Um, there, the it's, I, like, wait, is the IHOP over in Colonial? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's like, it's gay IHOP because like there was some like queer management working there and they hired like queer workers. So then the space was like word of mouth, like queer friendly and you knew it was like gay IHOP but it's not a gay IHOP at any moment it can stop being like queer friendly right yeah. so it's like one of those things where it's like there's queer spaces but they're like DIY they're not like permanent it's not like a gay place it's not like so it's like there's definitely spaces there and I think it's like absolutely improving and things are like growing and there's so much more and I th think a big part of that is like people who are like like young and liberal and excited about like change are deciding to stay in Orlando, um, which makes a huge difference. Like I know when I was like getting out of high school, people were like, anybody who was even slightly queer leaning was like, fucking see ya, I'm getting out of here, you know?
Um, and now it's that's not the case as much. People are like, oh, cool, there's cool shit here. I'm gonna stay here. And I love that. I love that because I think that that wasn't the case as much before. And I, I think Orlando's seen like a tremendous amount of growth. There's like so much like, like the music and art scene and literary scene and like, yeah, just like the things that are available, like the food scene, like everything's growing and growing. And it's, it's so great to see. I think it's, I think it's improving. I think I have like a lot of like memories of like my own personal baggage of like growing up in that space and also being like a young adult and not having like, you know, maybe maybe how how I hoped some of the things would be since we did have like such a large queer community because there are like a lot of queer people in Orlando right right yeah that that point also about the art scene in general I think it's one it's I think people are starting to change their attitudes about it uh, about it and that looking at Orlando as a place that doesn't have that because it to me and again I'm coming from Cali so the bar set pretty low but um but like Jacksonville was the first place that I lived that was like, oh wait, there's all, there's this whole community of people who are are writers and there's whole community of people who are creatives that are really trying to do something. There were whole, there were, it really, the time that I was there at least, especially in the, you know, I was there in the early 2000s and then I was there for the whole teens or whatever decade, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, and then, but then when I moved here, now granted, my partner's an artist. So like, she's a visual artist. And, and a singer and you know and so it was like i was immediately plugged in right yeah you know and she was plugged into the queer community so to me like when i got here i was like well everybody's a queer artist here you know like it's it's like yeah. this is what this place is and so right, interesting yeah. to hear the perspective of you growing up you know the way um yeah. how things were different how they've changed and i'm glad things are continuing to change um uh, this has been so great, Kristen. We usually end on um, how, what you're getting down on. So whatever art has you inspired, like it, it, it oh. could be a, a book you've been reading or uh, music you've been listening to, an album, it could be a painting you saw, I don't know, a podcast. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, there's like a lot of things right now that have actually been like so great. Um, um, there's a ton of books that I've read recently that have just been like, like pretty mm. mind blowing. Um, if anybody is interested in like other like, queer messy like family books detransition baby by tori peters that came out um that book rules it's so good um it's like a, a book that's like i when i read it i was like not only this is like really good it's making me question the idea of like how how time can work inside of something but also like the messiness of like or like what a constructed like queer family can look like um and i i always like I always like work that makes me like question my own work because then I feel like I'm in conversation. So that's like a book I've been like thinking about a lot. New Mitski. Um, mm. I fucking love Mitski. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't know. Those are two great things. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I don't know Mitski at all. I know I know that name, but I don't know. I don't know the the work at all. So I'll have to. I recommend it. It's okay. good. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Very cool. And then I'll I'll check out that book too. I'm at, I'm like in between right now. It's it's really weird. I I always have one book going, you know. And I just finished um Essay Cosby's Razorblade Tears and it just like Are you familiar with that? Mm -mm. You might dig it. It's it's I think you would dig it. It's um the story of uh two guys, uh one guy's black, one guy's white in Virginia and 
they come together because their sons who were a married couple are murdered brutally oh, wow. and and the cops aren't real interested in finding out who did it uh-huh. and so there's just so many questions of race and gender and sexuality and like and it's a you know it's it's a real messy uh, book like the the story is real messy and there's it's violent and it's sexy uh-huh. and it's I, I it's great it's just a you're really selling it so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's great but i finished it and then i was like Usually I have a stack. I had yours. I bought yours at Park Ave CDs. Oh, and nice. then, yeah, yeah. And then uh and then I, I bought his and then I'm just kind of sitting there like, wait a minute, usually I have a stack and I don't have a stack all of a sudden, which is very <laughs> strange. So that's perfect. <laughs> Kristen, I'm a huge fan of your work. I, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so grateful for your time. I learned a lot and I'm fired up to get my ass up at five o'clock tomorrow and work on the, <laughs> the novel that I've been picking away at that I haven't touched in months. Yeah, um, yeah, so this, this is really healthy for me because I'm going to make sure I get to bed early. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to set that new goal of a thousand words a day. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Have a great, great night. Thank you. I had fun. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. All right. Bye. See the marinade. Kristen Arnett, y'all. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank all of you for listening. KristenArnettWriter.com for all things Kristen. Read those books, y'all. I love them so much. MarinadePodcast.com for all things the marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. We have a lot of cool stuff coming up. We still have our episode with Stephen Deusner and the Colonel on the way. Uh, Jen Ross, my wonderful friend and collaborator, uh, is going to go with me to uh, Gasparilla Music Festival this weekend. By the time this comes out, we will have already been there and covered it. Uh, and so we'll be posting all kinds of stuff on our socials and then over on marinadepodcast.com to support that wonderful festival run by wonderful folks. So thank you so much, above all, for listening, everybody. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, I'm, I know you have a lot of options. And for, for you to listen to this show means a ton. This is normally, everybody, where I would tell you how to support the marinade with your treasure. Um, today, I'm not going to do that. I would actually like to encourage you, if you can if you can afford it, to consider donating to the Zebra Coalition. The Zebra Coalition is a network of organizations which provide services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and all youth ages 13 to 24. The coalition assists young people facing homelessness, bullying, isolation from their families, and physical, sexual, and drug abuse with individualized programs to guide them to recovery and stability. Our LGBTQ youth are on my heart right now. Um, They always are, but especially now, because there are some frightening things happening in the legislature here in Florida. Truly dystopian nightmare stuff. I know you see the headlines if you don't live here, but I'm not sure folks understand the, the breadth and depth of what's happening. The rights of LGBTQ folks are under assault by our governor and the Republican-led legislature. Uh, the right to protest has been severely restricted here. The teaching of history has been curbed and further restrictions on the truth are on the way. It really does read sometimes like political satire and sometimes like a dystopian nightmare. One such constraint on liberty is the, quote, parental rights bill. It's more commonly known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. In relevant part, uh, the bill says, quote, 
A school district may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels, which is up to third grade, or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. The bill creates potential civil liability for school districts that violate this ambiguous standard. If I put my lawyer hat on, I think that this is overly broad and will not be enforced, but a lack of effectiveness doesn't make the bill any less dangerous. It is part of a concerted effort by the governor and his allies in the state legislature to enshrine white evangelical power. Putting on my teacher hat, I'm reminded of so many incredible kids who would be adversely impacted by not having safe spaces in which to learn. The number one priority of an educator is to keep your kids safe. That's physical, emotional, and psychological safety. And if kids aren't safe, they can't learn. Thankfully, there are some wonderful organizations like the Zebra Coalition who are doing great work to pick up the pieces of state-sanctioned hatred. So if you can swing it, um, please donate to the Zebra Coalition. I did what I could do. Uh, I'd encourage every anybody who can to do what they can do. It's a really wonderful organization, and their work has maybe never been more important than it is right now. All right. I normally would do my review under two here. I did write something for this episode, but um, with everything happening um, and, and, and with the fact that Kristen and I ended up talking about growing up gay in Central Florida and then talking about the Zebra Coalition specifically, um, I'm going to shelve the review under two for a little while. I might put it up on marinadepodcast.com. Um, but I, I'll at some point in the future um, return to it. It just feels like right now this is a critical time in, in Western history, right? This is a critical time in the history of the world, but I, 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 I'm seeing it happen. I'm at, you know, what, what would you do if you were living through the civil rights uh, movements of the 1950s and 60s? And it's making me think a lot because we're there. You know, we have backslid when it comes to basic fundamental rights for people. And um, yeah, and it's kind of scary. So I'm going to skip the review under two right now because it seems more important to focus on some serious stuff at the moment. And uh, and then probably next episode, we'll return to it. Y'all, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Kristen for your time and energy and for your beautiful writing. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.